0: So hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Known podcast. Today's guest is a Forbes 30 under 30 for being the first person to create a company dealing in crypto and blockchain products in Romania. She's helped deliver data management and data aggregation for the 2015 Rugby World Cup. And from 2016 onwards, she's typed into the world of cryptocurrencies, has worked on self-sovereign identities, was one of the first people to set up a crypto exchange in Singapore. Today, she's joining us as a CTO at Equify. Her name is Ivana Franko. Without further ado, I would like to pass the mic over to her and allow her to introduce herself.
1: Hi, thank you for having me, Sal. My name is Ioana Franco. I am the CTO of Vekify and uh, I'm um, working uh, on delivering the next generation DeFi experience for both crypto and non-crypto users. Uh, As you said, I've been doing this since uh, 2016 being in the world of blockchain. And so far I've delivered over 20 different products from small to very, very large uh, enterprises.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, that's pretty interesting. So from what we understand from thousands of miles away, miles away about, about DeFi is that it's very hard to get into and it's very easy to like lose all your money what would be some of your suggestions for somebody who would just be thinking about hey, I have let's say a hundred dollars and I want to invest in DeFi. What should they do? What should they keep in mind?
1: Oh, that's a very good question. Because uh, first of all, people don't really think that they can start from uh small when it yes. comes <laughs> uh,
0: to
1: to blockchain and crypto right. and DeFi. They always think like, oh, I have to have a hundred thousand dollars to start. Um, I would say that one uh, very important thing is to take very well care of your assets assets being cryptocurrencies so my suggestion always for anyone uh, new to crypto is to use a hardware wallet first of all so you have different types of people one some that will just buy crypto and hold it which is a very good thing to do you can be in, there in, on the long run and in this situation i suggest buying a hardware wallet there are multiple options out there there are Uh, Trezor, ledgers, and other different wallets that you can choose. They mostly do kind of the same thing. Uh, You don't need to get a very specialized one. And on them, you can keep your crypto. Another important element is to not um, lose your private keys. So every wallet has a private key that you will, in the case of a hardware wallet, you will write on a little note. Uh, It's important to not keep the wallet and the notes in the same place. I've seen that happening. So that's another thing. Um, Also, you can hold your money on an exchange and here there are different options. The easiest one is to deposit funds and stake. If you stake your tokens, basically staking refers to the fact that you will put your tokens into something similar with a deposit on an exchange and basically you will receive interest for your tokens um that's a good option to place your funds without having to actively take care of them so these are more passive methods of uh, handling your funds um also you can uh generate yield on them by placing them into uh onto decentralized exchanges but that's a more of an advanced kind of move after you have gone through the rest of the stages. And for example, asset, if I have a product called yield aggregator, which does this for you, instead of you having to put your funds personally into each liquidity pool and, you know, do research and stuff like that. So I suggest, you know, get, uh, do- getting some documentation on the products that you use, make sure that they have licensing and they're authorized to handle your money because even though we as crypto natives are libertarian, Uh, It's important to have your funds safe, especially if you're new to this. And also invest as much as you can afford to invest or to buy crypto. If you have uh, all your savings, um, like $10,000, don't put all of that money into a single place. Don't try to get yourself into a place where you basically risk losing your money. And don't go to dubious places investing. You should always... Invest your funds in something that's recognized, a good brand, backed by, uh, by a bank, backed by a financial institution, and also be able that you can get those funds out. There are also applications which let you buy crypto, but they will never let you withdraw that crypto mm-hmm. from them. So that's also an important thing. There are apps that you know are fintech apps, basically, where you can buy Bitcoin, but you'll never be able to withdraw that Bitcoin, basically you're buying, buying a financial instrument. So make sure that the crypto you're buying is actual crypto, where you're storing it is a good and safe place. And the applications that you are using, if you want to stake or make deposits and stuff like that are actually legit, basically.
0: Mm, mm, mm. some very solid advice over there. Um, I had a question about when you say that it is backed by big names or whatnot. You must have seen what happened with MetaMask the other day. They just blocked all Venezuelans. The same thing happened at OpenSea. They blocked all the Iranians, or as the West calls it, Iranians. So you don't even have to live in Iran to get blocked by them. There was this like huge NFT influencer of sorts from Iran who had been like named as some of the like NFT people to watch out by the OpenSea people themselves about a month ago. And like just about yesterday, they blocked her from the platform. All her assets are gone. She cannot say anything. So is that something that we can solve while having those big names on board? Because big names are always going to go for regulation. The small names, they can be away from the regulation. So they could be more libertarian, as as you like say it. But what's the trade-off?
1: This is why I always suggest hardware wallets. No one can shut down hardware (laughs) wallet. Um, So if you hold NFTs, don't hold them into your account on a platform. And um, yes, all of the companies will need to respect regulations because... All of these companies have uh, people who work for them, employees, and they have to be registered within a country. So I suggest to not keep all your funds on an exchange, not to keep them on a platform. Having a hardware wallet or a paper wallet is best because I doubt that... uh, those will be blocked ever uh, by a state. Um, also these kind of measures of course are not necessarily the best one for like normal people like you and right. me you know because there's a difference between what uh, different uh, heads of states do and what uh, your average uh, Joe does. So right. um, I understand these sanctions and of course they they help minimize terrorism gun trafficking, and other illicit activities. So as a regular person, I always suggest to try to hold things on a hardware wallet because you can always transfer them to an exchange and sell them if you really want to, but uh, holding them in your wallet is the best thing ever. Never hold them on a a platform long-term.
0: That's right, for all of those listening, rule number one of crypto, not your keys, not your crypto. Own your keys, get hardware wallets. That makes a lot of sense. Moving forward, the world of like uh... DeFi itself, like how do you see DeFi evolving? Now we see yield aggregators, ohm forks, like all those four by four frog nation people. Then there are like these other things where you could have index fund, DeFi stuff. And there are so many like evolutions or variants of so many things like coming out. What are some of the sources that you use to stay on top of the latest news and how do you keep yourself informed? of what's like really going on in the market today?
1: This will sound like an advertisement, but I've been reading Hacker Noon since 2014. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been, um, ever since I, I had a job in the IT industry, um, when I found Noon, I started reading it, reading it. I think around 2014, 2015, not, uh, I don't want to mess up the dates, but um, that's one thing. The, the other sources that I use are of course, a lot of me- articles on Medium, a lot of um, people who post really useful information. so I don't really watch YouTube influencers uh, <laughs> because most of them are have sponsorships and I understand it that's your, your job to do you know I mean I watch some YouTube influencers in terms of the investing and finance and stuff like that but usually those who are not affiliated with crypto projects. Another thing that I've done during the years was investing in different projects, but I always did my uh, due diligence and my homework, right? So I never invested in dubious uh, pump and dump schemes or stuff like that, because you have to check the team behind the product and you have to actually make sure that you're not gonna you know, put $100 in and take $1 out or lock your funds for the next three years. I've seen those staking programs where you lock your... Um, funds for uh, 10 years I, for one project. And I was like, 10 years, that's insane. Like, there, there are so many startups that don't survive that 10 year threshold. It's okay to have them like one year, one and a half, but then it's insane. Um, so, yeah, I would say uh, I uh, watch some newsletters. I try to keep myself up to date with regulations. That's one very important aspect of my day to day job and uh, for that i use the official channels of the european uh, union of uh, the u.s institutions and stuff like that so i try to read the official sources that's kind of the the whole list i don't have like big names that i follow or stuff like that i just read a lot and try to filter my own views after so many years you don't really need to check what's the hype you know people and you talk to them and they're really high profile Mm. they tell you things and you you basically have your own network but for someone new new to crypto like someone who needs to find reliable sources I always recommend websites like, uh, like Hacker Noon, uh, some uh, medium bloggers, but people who are really well-known with a big following and who have like a track record of writing things because no one can predict the market. No one can know what the BTC price will be, even if I see vlogs like BTC uh, getting to 100,000 or 300,000. None of us is Nostradamus, you know, and we need to, to filter things. And of course, investments are done in the long run. The only moment when you lose is when you get out of an investment. So that's one very important aspect to uh, have in mind. And reading um, specialized people who actually have a track record of good quality information is crucial.
0: Mm, Because, like, you would see a lot of chatter on Twitter, and it becomes very overwhelming very fast. So, so glad that you named Noon. I didn't plan on this, but, like, yeah, thank you for saying that made my day. Moving on to the Ethereum side of things, how do you see Ethereum evolving? Like, it used to be so different back in the day. Today, it's so different. What is, like, your take? on the Ethereum development side of things? And do you think we'll see Ethereum 2 this year?
1: Ah, Ethereum 2, this wonderful thing that keeps eluding us. I am really looking forward to Ethereum 2 as a developer and as someone who handles DeFi because the main problem we have uh, with DeFi, and NFTs, and the whole space, to be honest, is that interacting with smart contracts is very expensive. Swapping your tokens on Uniswap V2 costs you upwards of 80 to $100. Wow. This is quite high. And especially if you want to invest $100, you don't want to pay $80 a <laughs> piece, right? So back in my days when Ethereum was $10, <laughs> It was like having little toys, not actual money. Now Ethereum is very valuable. And of course, it's $80 because the price of Ethereum is over $2,000. I'm not sure what the price is as we speak right now, but I think it's close to $3,000. The way uh, I see development, that's a very good question, is that it's so easy to develop now on Ethereum based um, on my experience, five years ago, we didn't have the tools that we have today. Mm. We didn't have the, especially the auditing tools um, and um, everything was very obscure, but at the same time as the system um, evolved, the ecosystem evolved, we have things like flash loans, sandwich attacks. We have a lot of things that you need to take care of when you're developing DeFi smart contracts. Mm. So uh, auditing has become a very lucrative business Um, But uh, unfortunately, um, the auditing quality in the industry is quite low. Um, So it's good to try to work also here with big, uh, big names and uh, to also have your own developers who actually know what they're doing. I see a lot of random blockchain developers popping up people who didn't do any other types of software development before. And that worries me because you are dealing with people's money. As uh, smart contract developers, uh, we are dealing with custody. And you can, even if it's Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever coin you have, this is people's money. They have put real Mm -hmm. dollars in or their currencies to buy these and you cannot afford to lose them because you didn't pay attention to critical errors in your smart contract. And that also brings me back to our initial question on investment. Invest in audited things. Don't invest in random tokens who are not listed anywhere or who are not audited because as easy it is now to just take the ERC-20 standard and implement your own token, as dangerous it is to develop anything more complex and a lot of Blockchain developers are limited to only the knowledge of developing ERC20 tokens, which is disappointing. Mm-hmm. Makes recruiting a very tough thing. Um, especially when you ask what's your development experience. Oh, I've been a blockchain developers for three developer for three years. Okay, so what did you do? Oh, ERC20 tokens. <laughs> okay. <Get out. laughs> but yeah, it's you're like what did you actually do, you know? So the ecosystem has evolved a lot. I love seeing that there are more and more people involved. Uh, Participation is growing, but at the same time, a lot of corporations have uh, started developing proprietary systems, a lot of um, private blockchains uh, popping up. And it's going to be very difficult to reconcile all these technologies in the future, because especially if we are speaking about central bank digital currencies and different standards of implementing them, imagine that, if five um, sovereign banks implement five different types of blockchains with five different technologies, the sixth one would have to <laughs> plug into all of them. So each time you add one, it will be worse. So we need to develop some some DeFi standards in, in this respect or some let's call them blockchain finance standards between the different institutions. Just like uh, for Swift, you have the MT-103 messaging format, which tells you what the transaction contains, like the amount, the um, IBAN, where it goes, and all those details. Mm -hmm. It's important to also keep in mind that Um, institutions will need to have this kind of system. That is separate from from our indie part uh, in terms of um, Ethereum, Bitcoin, sending funds to one another, that's different. With Ethereum 2.0, I I really hope that we'll see this year. I, I cannot say if it will be or not because we've been waiting. Yeah, we've been waiting for it for a while. And I I also know that it's a very difficult thing to develop. So I never felt bad or frustrated with the Ethereum developers working on this because it's such a complex system. And uh, if we cannot afford to mess it up, it's Mm. even more responsibility for them.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Like it is vast. There are jokes like Ethereum is so decentralized. That people don't know how to pronounce the word word like et. Some say it eth, some say it eth. So it is that decentralized and like more like power to (laughs) the guys building it. I have questions about your like role as a CTO and a developer. You are a rare species. But first, I want you to make a prediction because you mentioned CBDCs. Like if you were to make one prediction about Like these CBDCs are going to come out. China is building one. Where I live, India is like going to build one. The US probably will also build one. There would be one for the EU as well. Which blockchain do you see being that one blockchain that gets all of those CBDCs on there?
1: Um, I doubt it will be one that we all know and love. uh,
0: (laughs) It won't be Ethereum. Everybody hates (laughs) it. No. because it's very decentralized. (laughs) I don't.
1: <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I believe that it will be um, private blockchains within each country that will communicate between them with, using oracles. I believe that because um, having a central bank currency means that the central bank has to have some power over it mm. and some, some rights to do some types of changes. And if we build on Ethereum, it's going to be a bit too random. You don't need, mm. they need to be able to... Um, print money first of all because that's their job <laughs> printing money uh, so, so they need to to print money oh, yeah. right? Uh, also they will need some sort of accounting because every, every bank has their accounting uh, systems and uh, transactions between other banks so I believe that there will be um, a lot of um, friction to get those out because each mm. country has a different accounting standard right. a different way to look at things different fiscal legislation so you need to embed these things in a blockchain and also to make it as flexible as possible to update them in the future. So mm-hmm. I believe it will be private blockchains custom built for this kind of situation. Um, maybe at you know European Union level or other uh, unions uh, levels, uh, it will be uh, one single type of uh, technology, which I hope that would simplify a lot of work. Uh, but uh, I doubt that we will use something open source and as centralized as Ethereum.
0: Mm-hmm. And seeing the current like state of the world, like politics aside, if I talk just from a monetary perspective, Russia just got like practically uh, kicked out of the Swift standard. I don't know whether it's in practice now or like I might be like missing it. But if somebody can be blocked from something like a Swift, it this incentivizes nation states to belong to a central standard such as the swift people will look at like russia and say hey exactly if they could kick them out it's better for me to build my own blockchain
1: yeah and uh, i also think that the swift like standard will exist between countries because that is what SWIFT uh, the swift standard is right it unifies different uh, types of uh, technologies and uh, different banks and forces them to follow a single standard. Mm. So I think uh, this uh, cryptocurrency or blockchain finance standard, like I like to call it, will be something similar to the Swift
0: one. Mm then like it would be harder for like national states to be removed from like such a blockchain system right because you would need like almost oh so you could actually like remove them cause you need 50 you could
1: more. embed the governance yeah you could embed yeah. the governance rules and do that so the, the possibilities are are limitless unfortunately i'm not a financial uh, expert uh, as i finished uh, electronic engineering <laughs> in college so i believe that you know the actual people working in the central banks definitely know a lot more than I do on uh, on what rules need to be respected, but from a technology perspective, if I were them, I would go with something custom mm. because I think that's the the healthiest um, way to develop as a state. Uh, I know this doesn't sound very crypto or very blockchainy, but at the same time, I think it um, it is uh, important that nations you know um, keep their sovereignty, keep their standards, respect the legislation they have, and if we don't like living there, we can
0: always move. <laughs> Right. 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 And like, that makes a lot of sense because when we look at these things, like these are very evolving situations, right? Nation states would want to have their sovereignty and so on and so forth. Yeah. Now back to my original question, like which I wanted to ask you. It's like as a developer CTO, you are a very rare species. So what does your day look like at Equify? And how do you deal, like, cause what I know about programmers, I am like not one, but what I know about programmers is that you guys get in the zone and then you start programming and do not stop for five hours, six hours, seven hours, one So how do you deal with that as a CTO when your Slack or phones are ringing off the hook from 20 people who want you to make a decision? How do you balance that?
1: So, um, unfortunately, I do not code anymore. Exactly because of that. <laughs> um, so, uh, my, my specialty is data management and machine learning. In blockchain, you cannot re- really do that much. Uh, but where I get involved, and I think the um, uh, CTO value is, so to say, is in the um, product uh, architecture, how we want it to work, how we want to match the business and the technology for our users and how we can bring actual value to them. How do we structure things? What kind of technologies do we choose? for example, do we choose to go with a type of cloud uh, provider or with another? Do we choose to uh, use a type of blockchain infrastructure or another? You know, these kinds of decisions are important um, whenever I hear that the company has a company as big as Equify because we're already, we have over 20 uh, technol- uh, technology people in our team working. When I hear that their uh, CTO still codes, I get worried um, because uh, the CTO is there to make decisions, you know, right. um, and you cannot make sure that you have uh, made the right decisions every day if you keep your head in in the code. This is why you have Uh, other people doing that who are just as valuable. I don't want to minimize anyone's contribution to anything. It's important to have a very strong team who understands why you need to launch something at some point. Why does it have to look in one way and not another? And um, as a CTO, you need to first deliver And second, prioritize, because the business always wants everything at the same time. Mm. But you cannot clone all your people. And also developing too many things at once will cause a lot of chaos and problems because Mm. things will break and you will not know where they broke. So my day um, basically starts quite late. I have to say that I wake up at nine. I don't wake up at five. I'm not the CTO that, you know, goes out for a run and stuff like that. Um, But that's also because uh, it usually ends at around midnight, Um, as we are a decentralized team, um, I'm based in Bucharest and part of our team is in the US, part of our team is in the um, uh, UAE, so basically... I have to match all these uh, time zones and to be in meetings. Um, I try to do deep work as much as possible. So, you know, actually drafting the specs, making sure that everyone knows what they're doing. But I'm also very lucky that I have a team of very senior people, highly skilled, who actually do their best. It's, It's a rare situation. Usually it's very difficult to find them. And the fact that I was able to uh, to source such a great team has been quite an achievement. So I answer to a lot of emails lately, especially about, you know, financing, reporting uh, and all of these things that are happening in the world and how do we tackle them. I have a lot of meetings. I think I have like between 25 and 30 hours of meetings per week. So I have a bit of a Zoom fatigue and I understand if someone is tired from Zoom calls and from meetings, I And I also try to shield our developers from meetings as much as possible. So they have like five hours of meetings per week. And I think that's important. As a CTO, you need to protect your team, divide work as well as possible, not overload them and also not disappoint the business. So you need to have a very good um, balance between these things. You don't want to disappoint, but you also don't want your developers to be frustrated because they're handling money at the end of the day. And they need to have a clear mind when they're uh, implementing different algorithms. So I try, you know, to split these things as much as possible. And um, so far it's going pretty well, Uh, but uh, definitely working from home in a decentralized team is very different from having a team in the office. Also a bit better. We're fully decentralized uh, in the technology team and in the whole team, actually. So everybody works from their home. And I think this brings um, better understanding between people because they have to communicate via Slack or via other systems and to understand each other's issues and problems. And it also gives them flexibility in their schedule. I don't try to force people to stay at work between 10 and six because we don't measure as time on the chair. Mm. We measure delivery. And I'm not there to supervise their number of hours while I'm there to make sure that they deliver all the things we promised together.
0: Mm -hmm. Spoken like a true leader. Developers (laughs) love when a CTO shields them from meeting. Developers (laughs) love when they are not like asked to like join this meeting and that meeting. Because whatever developer I speak to, they are like, dude, I just hate meetings. So I get that. (laughs) Now that we approach the end of this episode, I have a couple of like fun questions for you. So, right. So, First one, what do you think is the one secret of crypto that only those who have been here for six years, such as yourself know, and the people who join in late don't know?
1: Uh, don't time the market. You don't. cannot time the market. I know it's not quite a big secret, but you know I've been buying since 2016 and I keep holding. I never sell. As long as I have food on the table, I never sell. Mm. It's important to look at things like that. If Bitcoin hits $4,000, I don't sell. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean for the long run. So I would right. say that one important thing that I also mentioned earlier is that the only moment when you lose on an investment is when you sell. Mm. The longer mm. you sit there, the more money you make. And um, when it comes to crypto specifically, I always encourage people to be rational and to not sell at the first uh, at the first problem. And there's also some cycles in the market that you notice only after you stay there for some some years. And there are a few moments every year when crypto drops and now they're very correlated with the stock market. So it's important to to look at these correlations.
0: Mm, mm, mm. That makes a lot of sense. Like time in the market beats time in the market. I get that, right? The next question, is that crypto goes 24 seven, right? There are no down times, it's always on. Whatever could be happening in the world, crypto keeps on moving, right? whether going up or whether going down. So how do you deal with it? Like, how do you have a personal life while having like crypto on the side?
1: Um, I just don't open CoinMarketCap. How do you do that? I just don't go there. It took a while. (laughs) I just leave my phone at home. I mean, I check it every morning. But during the day, I don't check it that much. Like five years ago, I was opening CoinMarketCap five times a day. Yes. (laughs) But... after um crypto went down a lot like 2019 2020 you know i started working uh, i was a bit of a workaholic and mm. i still am so i um uh, i just had so many things to do that i didn't open it and i of course i knew the price of crypto like you know uh, the average and stuff like that mm. um and uh, as i said since crypto can go very very low and i'm still in the green so uh, i don't worry that much but um I think that's, that's valid with every investment. If mm. you check it more than once a day, you have a problem. It's like a gambling problem and you need to see someone. This is very serious. I know I sound like I'm sending people to the therapist, but um, it's uh, important with any investment, even if you buy like a stocks or crypto, just don't open your phone every five minutes because you have a life and you have a job and you're not a day trader. So you shouldn't do that. And during the weekends, actually, I just don't open it. I mm. I just go to the spa. I just do something else. And um, I think that if you have the urge to do this, you need to find some some things to do, like some hobbies or some something else that forces you to not have your phone in your hand, because you become compulsive, and that's that's not healthy. I almost got into a depression because of this. So I would, you know, say just leave your phone at home and go to the supermarket. Get mm. your get your fruits, get your vegetables, and come back home, and you can check it in two hours. No, nothing will happen if you just leave <laughs> your home phone there. I know some people will say that I I don't have. Uh, empathy in this situation but it's just like uh, you're ripping uh, off a band-aid you need to to do that and not not open your phone five
0: times a day and that's very fair advice right because if you check it five times a day you aren't like going to get anything out of it it's gonna stay yeah the, same the, as, the, mar-
1: yeah. Yeah, the market will not go up because john <laughs> smith opened their phone the market will not go up because i opened my phone right. the market will continue to to move just as it does already and you opening and closing this doesn't make sense of course it, you need to pay attention to the news like you know when um netflix reported incomes and that uh, generated the sales signal it's good to look at the news because you know that you need to buy but uh, at the same time people will look at the news news and they will say i need to sell <laughs> so right,
0: right, it's, right. it's
1: important to be as Rational as possible, and this goes any hand, hand with the advice I gave earlier, which is invest what you can afford. Because the moment when you invest what you can afford, you don't feel the urge to check it every time, because your life really does not depend on this, mm,
0: and that's mm, that's
1: very important,
0: right? Do you think that these social media influencers are to blame for such a thing? Because if I like, what do most people spend the most of their time on? It's social media. What do they see mm-hmm. over there? Influencers when the Lamborghinis or their big houses or whatnot and saying, hey, I made that money um, in three months?
1: I, I don't think they're to blame, to be honest, because you need to pass everything through your own personal filter. And I'm happy for those people. They made a lot of money and they're an example to others. They can be seen as inspirational. Uh, they're just doing their job. You know, being influencer is a job to them and the business. So... I would say that they're not to blame. Uh, The only thing that is to blame when we start being so compulsive about uh, this is our own brain. And we need to re-educate ourselves. Because one guy or uh, a girl made a lot of money and they have a Lamborghini, I'm very happy for them. I don't have a driver's license, so I can only admire them. But um, at the same time, I... I shouldn't blame someone else because I'm compulsively uh, obsessing over my investment.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Again, some very solid advice. We are responsible for our actions and like, shouldn't look at other scapegoats. And I learned that Ivana has a huge faith in the human intelligence because people, after <laughs> people, they will make mistakes. <laughs> but yeah.
1: I, I, you know, I, I have to, otherwise, you know, hope dies less, <laughs> so... Um, And also, you know, uh, we need to make sure that we, we see these people as examples, good or bad depends on what we want to extract from there so Mm. i also have some influencers that i look at and i'm like this is not okay but um (laughs) the very specific uh, obscure Mm. cases so yeah uh, i wouldn't go if an influencer tells me to buy a token number whatever or you know Mm. to to invest randomly in something i wouldn't put my money there instantly i would do my own research which is an advice i give to everybody because everybody asks me oh have you seen this token i want to invest in it and i'm like no, I have not seen it. If I work in crypto, it doesn't mean that I know all the tokens that are all all obscurities that are launched on the market. They're like, yeah, but a lot of people are buying it. How did you not hear about it? Well, I'm actually doing my job, building things, (laughs) which does not give me enough time to check all the scam tokens that are sold
0: online. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) That makes sense. And with that, I'd like to call this a wrap. Do you have any closing messages for the Hack listeners?
1: Well, um, first of all, I'm really happy for... uh, uh, for you guys if you end up uh, checking this video and if you read Hacker Noon, keep doing it. And um, whenever you want to learn about crypto, do your own research and try to not learn from people best from different projects. Invest your money with uh, with a lot of thought and you know, make sure that you choose the best products on the market, preferably bank backed or authorized or licensed
0: in jurisdictions that you are familiar with. Gotcha. Thank you, Ivana, and we hope to see you again. Thank you very much for joining the Hacker Known podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you too. Bye-bye.